Hello and welcome to the Kick in the Creatives podcast, hosted by myself, Sandra Busby, and my fellow creative, Tara Roskell, offering you interviews, inspiration, motivation, and a gentle prod in the right direction. And for lots more information, challenges, and other useful tools to help you get creating, you can go to www.kickinthecreatives.com. And of course, this is where you can also find today's show notes. Enjoy the show. Dan Whiteson is a portrait and figurative painter from London, and his unique and lively work can be found in private collections around the world. As well as his painting, Dan also created his own life drawing classes, and this was in response to the negative experiences he'd personally had of life drawing classes throughout his education. Through the pandemic, Dan took his teaching online to create the Sunday Sessions. These sessions focus on a different artist every week with a mashup of art history and a creative drawing exercise at the end. And Tara has joined in with quite a few of those sessions and has absolutely loved them, so they're well worth checking out. Now, we experienced a host of technical issues on the day that we were chatting to Dan, and this meant that only one of us could chat on this occasion. And since Tara introduced me to Dan's work, I thought it was only right that she should do the interview. And actually, it was really nice to edit this podcast because for a change, I was just like you. I was a listener. And I can tell you it's well worth listening to because he talks in depth about so many things. His disappointment in art school, how he developed his style, how becoming a parent changed his life as an artist. And that is just scratching the surface. He also shares some tips for beginner artists who want to improve and develop their own art. Honestly, you will not miss me at all. Enjoy. So Dan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really great to have you. And I've been uh, looking at your work for a while now and taking some of your classes. So I'm really pleased to have you here. And I wonder if you can just first tell us a little bit about how your journey into art began. Um, Well, firstly, thank you so much, Tara, uh, for coming to my classes and and for inviting me on the podcast. It's really uh, a joy to be here this morning. Um, And I suppose, yeah, I, I, I guess whenever I think about my journey into doing what I do, I sort of always have to begin with with my parents, really. Um, I was one of those very fortunate children who had um, very artistically minded parents and, and very supportive parents, um, very active parents as well. And we, I grew up just outside of London and sort of on the border of London and Essex. So um, again, very fortunate that we could head in and, and go to these incredible free spaces in central London. Um, and I still have such vivid memories of um, you know, visiting the National Gallery for the first time and seeing George Stubbs is one that really sort of stands out in my mind that, you know, the large scale paintings of the horse, um, obviously Van Gogh's sunflowers. There's just something so uh, glorious about seeing that in real life. Um, and I think that's really where it began for me. And to have parents that translated their passion into me um, and encouraged me to be creative at home, um, and all through school, I was kind of known, I suppose, for being a little bit more artistically minded in primary school. And then that kind of continued through secondary school. And yeah, I think it was it was really I think I have to I have to give most of the credit to them for, for just setting me on that pathway and for supporting me throughout through all of the hard times and, and celebrating all of the good times with me as well. So did they actually paint as well? So my mum, yeah, my mum painted a fair bit when she was younger, but she's um, she was a primary school teacher herself. So, you know, if, if, I don't know if you know any <laughs> teachers yourself, but there is not a lot of free time if you've got a family at home as well. So um, it's very much something that lay dormant in her. But, you know, teaching is such a creative profession. And I think sort of watching her plan her lessons and and watching her trying to, again, translate her passion into to the children that she taught as well was was very impactful on me. Um, so, yeah, she's very kind of inherently creative, I think. And um, now that she's retired, she's kind of getting back into that as well. I don't know if you notice when you're in the classes that I've been running, but my mum and dad are there every week as well doing it along with me. <laughs> so... Oh. Well, I'm into the recordings, so ah. you, prob- you probably cut them out and I don't see them. Yeah, I definitely would have cut them yeah. out. <laughs> and so did you actually go to art school or did you teach yourself? Um, I, so I, I did go to art school. Um, I went to St Martin's um, and I was very excited to go to St Martin's. Um, but I actually ended up not pursuing the fine art painting um 
degree. For, maybe we'll get into this in a bit more detail later on in the in the podcast, but um, I didn't have the greatest experience there of the way in which that was taught. So I actually ended up studying product design, um, which was something that I'd not really had any experience of with before, um, but actually taught me a great deal. And I think um, still has an impact, not just on the aesthetic of my work, but certainly the way I think about my practice and the way in which I am able to um, operate, I suppose, as a professional, as a business. I think it, it really helped me find a pathway into building yeah a creative business having not studied painting and actually done something that was um a little bit more sort of client minded yeah did you did you actually just start with a fine art degree and then switched it so i i went and did my foundation year uh at st martin's and it was so different from what i expected and it was very impersonal um and again, maybe we'll get into more detail in this later on. But um, yeah, I, 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 I tried the painting pathway on the foundation. So you get sort of a month or so, I think it was doing that. And just did not get on with, with, with the way it was being taught. It felt very dictatorial, very sort of closed in terms of the possibilities available to me and quite unsupportive as an environment as well. So when it came to choose the degree... Um, I have to be honest and say basically just my best mate was doing product design and I thought it would be fun <laughs> to do it with him really. Uh, someone to, to go out and have a beer with. Wasn't yeah, it? absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so I kind of ended up with that. So I'm wondering, like, your art is very figurative. I mean, does that come from the three-dimensionalness, do you think, of the product design? Or, you know, has it, have you specialised over time? Did you paint other things before? Well, I, I've always, even from um, secondary school, I was always obsessed with, with the figure and the portrait. Um, my influences at that stage of my life were, were certainly more classically minded. Um, I was obsessed with as I think many teenagers are, with the kind of angst and the violence in, in Caravaggio. Um, <laughs> and I was kind of from that sort of much more classically minded, as I said. And I think that was one of the, the major problems that I found with art school is that I'd sort of gone to art school um, wanting to paint these kind of relatively large scale sort of chiaroscuro, um, quite classic classical paintings. And, and I was essentially told that it was kind of just not relevant to contemporary art and um that sort of pathway just wasn't really supported and at that stage in my life I had a sort of vague appreciation for for kind of more modern art and and contemporary art um but at that point I I wasn't really interested in kind of absorbing those as influences and it's only since I kind of left art school that that's become more of an impact on on my work but yeah, so I guess to answer the questions, in terms of the figurative side of things, it was just something that I've always been really interested in. I've, I've always been fascinated by the human condition. Um, I think if I hadn't have done fine art, I'd have been quite interested in kind of studying the brain in some in some way. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, a lot of my early influences away from the kind of more classical painters were also very kind of psychologically minded figurative painters like Alice Neal as well. So um, yeah, I think for me, it's just always been something I've been just fascinated by. Well, one thing you were saying how you had influences like when you were younger, and that's one of the things I love about your lessons, because I always used to hate our history and it's because they made it so boring. <laughs> they really did. But what you do with your lessons is you have art history, but then a practical side. And I think, I mean, maybe they do put it in colleges now, but when I was at college, it was just so dry, mm. the art history. So, so dull. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's so key, actually, to development. You know, I think I kind of mentioned it already, but... I was quite um, closed-minded, I suppose, when I went to university insofar as I, I kind of didn't really get sight Wombly and I, I wasn't really interested in suprematism or, or Mondrian or, you know, and, and it's only over time by really investing some time into understanding the context and understanding the revolutionary aspects of what those artists were doing that I gained an appreciation. And as soon as you gain an appreciation, I feel like 
you absorb that influence and that then comes back into your artwork as well and you know we are but just a confluence of all of our influence and experience as, as artists so the more that I can expose my students to different modes of working or different ways of thinking and approaching the creative process and certainly introducing people to artists that they've never heard of before or have never appreciated before I get such a kick out of that mate and and I just I love to see that sort of progression rather than it being a real sort of technically minded way of of developing an artist and kind of you know chipping away at the accuracy and the mark making or or you know kind of pushing my students down in that direction you know sort of stuff that you could probably learn from a, a, a book for me it's much more about opening those sorts of pathways and showing people that there aren't really any rules and that when you embrace that and sort of filter all of that influence all of that experience through your own individuality that is when you start to make work that is genuinely emotionally affecting and um, and is a genuine reflection of of your experience of life as well so yeah I'm I'm really happy and and humbled that you say that about the classes and that they they kind of bring a vitality to the art history because it's something I'm really passionate about and something that I feel like I've certainly benefited from in my own career as well taking that time do you think your style has evolved because you studied those artists? Because you've got quite an innovative approach to drawing. Yeah, thank you. And, and likewise as well, Ty, I really enjoy, enjoy your work as well and, and Sandra oh, too. Um, uh, yeah, totally. I think there was a huge shift in my work. So I, a uh, very abridged version, but after I graduated, I sort of knew I didn't want to be a product designer. Um, and I was kind of just getting back into painting after pretty much three years of, of only kind of doing design-led drawing. So I'd, I'd still had my eye, but it was a very different way of, of working and we kind of learnt different ways of drawing um, as well that I, I sort of now can see the influence of, certainly in, my, in my, my drawings as well, in terms of the kind of crossover between fine art and, and design almost. But yeah, I think it's been a, a pretty steady process of me gradually allowing all of these influences to to kind of seep into my work and I think it began by kind of just being increasingly inspired by more expressive portrait painters so I've mentioned Alice Neal already and and seeing her show at Whitechapel in whenever that was 2011 2010 um, that was truly revolutionary for me because she was a portrait painter who obviously was gifted and incredibly technically skilled but someone that focused on the emotionality of of her painting um and that was kind of a revelation for me that it could be so impactful of me you know I sort of stood in front of some of those paintings and was in tears um I'd never really experienced that before and that was yeah that in itself was was huge for me and that kind of set me off on this journey of exploration really I suppose where for the next few years I was kind of experimenting with approach and trying to be more open and emotional in the way in which I represented my sitters and I I sort of got a a, a relative amount of success as a portrait artist working to commission and eventually working to commission and and, um, engaging in some really great projects as well that kind of allowed me to travel and and make work in places around the world but um, I sort of got a bit disillusioned with that and and kind of you know (laughs) I sort of felt I'd spent my whole life making decisions that I didn't have to be told what to do by other people. And, and when you work to commission, you're being told what to do. <laughs> and I didn't like that, mate. <laughs> so um, so I kind of, after that, I, I sort of decided kind of pretty consciously to stop taking commissions and to really sort of work on my own language. And that's been very much an ongoing process. But a big part of that development has definitely been me going back out there and really gaining an appreciation for artists that I might have missed the first time around, looking to artists from other cultures as well, um, and just kind of broadening those horizons. And it's just remarkable how much of that then comes back through your art um, when you don't expect it to, really. Um, Yeah. Will you consciously look at an artist and think, right, I'm going to do something that's influenced by that artist? Uh, yes and no. I think it, the relationship I have with, with other artists is complex, as I'm sure it is for, for all artists. Um, I think sometimes it can be a real benefit, a real, real positive to, to, to look at other artwork, but other times it can be quite sort of suffocating, certainly in the earlier parts of your, your career when 
you know, most of us will be struggling with sort of a bit of imposter syndrome and sort of feeling like we should be a different kind of artist or producing different sorts of art to kind of adhere to what's happening in the rest of the art world, certainly with, with kind of the advent of social media as well, how easy it is to access all of these incredible artists. You know, that can be overwhelming and that can be very intimidating. Um, so sometimes I think it can be me actively kind of ignoring what's happening. But on the flip side to that, um, yeah, I think um, for me, it, it could just be a painting that I've seen. I think what I've really missed over the last year and a half is going to see work in real life, because I think that's really what you can bring back into the studio when you kind of have that kind of visceral response to a piece of work that can sometimes just keep you going for two three weeks and it might just be a little moment in one large-scale painting for instance just a sort of clash of colors or just a little mark or just a little idea that you've got oh I love that maybe I'll base a painting on that maybe I'll base my painting on just that color for instance so I had a, a lovely time with Auguste Urban uh, a few months back um, and I just got obsessed with his his work and his use of colour and I was kind of every day going into the studio with one of his paintings in mind and kind of using that palette um, or just yeah kind of the, the kind of lightness of touch that he had in some of those early works as well so yeah I think I, it's kind of there's definitely conscious elements to it there are definitely times when I'm in the studio and I'm like I can't think what I want to do with this little bit here Maybe I'll just spend a little bit of time on Instagram or on the on the computer, just look up some artists and really just find that instant kind of inspiration where I'll go, oh, yeah, of course it's pink, of course it's purple. Um, but, yeah, I think really the real benefits come over the longer term because you absorb so much and these things just kind of worm their way out. And I think for me, again, maybe we'll sort of discuss it more later on, but in terms of my approach to the studio, I have these kind of bursts of activity for like an hour maybe where I have to feel as kind of unencumbered by my own brain <laughs> as possible um, and really kind of connecting to the flow of it all so those beautiful special moments when you can kind of really connect in that way I love that moment where you sort of step away from the canvas and you can kind of almost unpick what it was that sort of made you make that decision but it wasn't conscious at, at that point in time if that makes sense yeah. um and I think just to finish up I think like on that particular question like I think I used to feel that that was a really bad thing as well you know you go back to those early days and you're like you know I oh, basically just nicked that from that Kandinsky painting oh, I've just nicked that from Andrew Salgado oh, I've just nicked that from and then actually, as time goes by, you just, you know, like Picasso, you know, the famous quote of kind of great artist steal, you know, we are all just a, 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 just a conglomeration of all of the things that we've seen in our life. So, you know, even if it's a piece of music that you've kind of converted into, into, your, into a visual thing or a lyric that you've put down behind your painting, everything is, is stolen really from your experience of life. So I think sort of making my peace with that side of it actually has been quite important too and I think quite an important journey for lots of artists at the beginning of their career to just not beat themselves up if something feels you know very similar, similar. Yeah. yeah you seem to have these different approaches to your art so you've got this really stark black and white and then these bright vivid colours do you deliberately you know work that way so you've got a more an abstract way and a more realism sort of way of working or, or what makes you approach it like that well, so I think for me, it was quite a cynical decision, I suppose, in some ways, but a necessary one. Um, and again, something we'll come back to, I think, later on, but becoming a parent um, two and a half, three years ago um, really sort of makes you assess your practice in a new light. Um, and I think for me, what I decided is that I needed to try and distinguish elements within my practice um, that were much more for me and elements in my practice that were designed to be sold and to be sort of more commercially viable and commercially minded. Um, so the drawings, the sort of black and white drawings that uh, we sort of mentioned in passing earlier on that were kind of quite heavily influenced by the skills that I learned in product design and this kind of mode of working, this kind of very clean um, concise marks um, 
they were designed basically to become print runs and to be kind of lower lower cost artwork I suppose right, for, yeah. for me to sell um but they were also in a, a by removing the color because I'm because I'm such a lover of color and because I was kind of on this pathway in, of of kind of discovering my own language as it were as much as we ever have our own language I think for me by removing the color from the process it actually allowed me to focus in on the actual visual language a little bit more clearly so I guess similar to what the cubists did almost you know by kind of taking color away from their palette allowed them to focus on form more and draw attention to form so I think there's a couple of things going on so definitely the sort of commercial side of things with the the aesthetic of the drawings but also actually it was they were very important for me developing the aesthetic that I then took back into the paintings because I knew that I wanted the paintings to be more vibrant and colorful and I always want to push what I can do with the materiality of the paint as well which is something that I'm sort of still very much developing in the practice as well um but yeah I mean very loosely and very quickly the idea behind everything that I do is kind of how we as human beings engage with our environment in an increasingly kind of digitalized experience of life so this was an idea that I had even as far back as as university days um I'm kind of fascinated with how little people engage with the world um physically around them so I kind of saw it as this sort of disintegration of of self um and that was kind of the little motto the little idea these words that were kind of twisting around my head and and sort of trying to find a way to visualize that idea I suppose of kind of bodies kind of disintegrating and disappearing in space um but doing that in a very kind of clean way so a lot of figurative artists now are kind of investigating similar ideas and it's very much on trend you know to kind of have these these pieces that kind of tread the line between representation and, and abstraction but for many of those artists I think the abstraction comes from a real expression in the mark so they're very loose and they're very large scale often and I sort of wanted my work to be a bit quieter because I feel like this kind of attack on our physicality is much more stealthy you know the, the targeted advertising and the the sort of um, adrenaline that you get from your Instagram likes these are very small little actions that have big consequences I think and certainly as a teacher that's something that I'm quite passionate about talk, talking about as well is how little we look um, and how important it is to look to be inspired so yeah that's that's hopefully answered that question quite in a <laughs> rambling way but yeah <laughs> well you've talked about being inspired by other artists and and they're like you know people in their environment and nature so do you get inspired by anything else uh music is a massive one for me music's a big part of my teaching as well um i always make playlists there was um, a very strange track i remember you played i think i think um the one i was listening to i can't remember what it was but one of the uh, lessons Oh, there will have been, yeah. I think. I mean, I use I use music as well to push people outside of their comfort zones too. I think it's a really useful tool to kind of challenge environment and atmosphere and force people to respond emotionally as well. Um, but yeah, I think music music's a massive one. Yeah, obviously, people are a massive influence. Obviously, art is a massive influence. But it could be anything, you know. Whether it's going to see a play, whether it's poetry, whether it's just a walk in the park and seeing the light through the trees or just a, a, a flash of colour somewhere might just just be something that I take back into the studio of just like I want to replicate that vivid shimmering green that I saw in that duck the other day but but all of that comes from from the looking and the engagement which again kind of feeds back into the the whole idea behind the work is you're not going to be inspired unless you're open to it so I try to be as open as I can it um, can be difficult at times certainly when you're parenting as well to kind of be <laughs> sensitive and open to, to everything that's going on in the, around you but yeah I think probably of all things aside from kind of just just people in, in engagements with people and, and art I think music's a huge one for me um, and just my own physical health as well and moving I saw a lovely video on on, um, on Sandra's Instagram of her kind of dancing around her studio that's very much my warm-up um in the morning is put some music on get moving get the blood flowing and sort of almost treat the the creative practice as a kind of 
physical activity really I suppose that's always been part of what I do so yeah kind of life really I guess in general everything take as much inspiration from as many things as you can I guess so you when you're working are you a big broad stroke you know your your brushes going everywhere then? oh very much I mean yeah I'm I'm infuriating for anyone that I share <laughs> the studio with um constantly stepping back stepping away I'm exhausted by the end of the day um you know it always makes me laugh when people sort of have this idea of it being quite a sort of sedentary <laughs> relaxing day and you kind of yeah that's why I sort of work in these bursts of like maybe two hours maximum because um it's quite involved and instinctive and improvisational and I take a lot of risks it might not seem like it maybe sometimes in the final paintings but I'm sort of constantly trying things within the composition and that can it's, it's probably not the sensible way to do it you know I'm but I'm not a planner I'm not someone that can sit and sketch and make lots of different iterations of it and then begin a painting know exactly where I want to put things it's much more about that painting kind of finding its way with me and with all of the influences that I'm trying to put into it. So, yeah, that just all leads to me being quite sort of very physical, um, even on sort of smaller scale stuff. Um, yeah, very physical and lots of movement and uh, lots of singing along and, yeah, talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be a nightmare if you would, Sandra, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You'd get some dance routines going, choreographs yeah. and things. Uh, do you ever get a painting and it's not working? You just said how before you, you find it as you go along, but do you ever find it just won't work? And what do you do? Oh, all the time, mate. I mean, that's part of it, isn't it? And it, it can just vary from hour to hour. I think for me, the, the thing that I found works best is just having a little break from it, whether that's just starting work on a new piece or going back to a different painting or just going for a walk, getting a coffee, taking yourself out of that environment because it, it's just it can be so heartbreaking, can't it? You know, you sort of have this perfect, wonderful relationships. Like I always think about it as kind of like, like genuinely like a relationship, you know, you sort of go on your first dates and it's really exciting and there's so many opportunities and possibilities. And then, you know, maybe a few dates down, you kind of find out <laughs> there's lots of things that aren't compatible between the two of you. Uh, and maybe you just need to take a little bit of time out. Um, I mean, to be honest, there have been many occasions where I've just ripped it up and started again um because it, it just sort of consumes you doesn't it I, you go to bed thinking about it and you get into the studio and you're tense and um I think sometimes there's nothing better than just stabbing it and ripping it up <laughs> and just getting it over with it's fine it's done move on and start again and, and try a different approach and just learn from it I think that's again been a very big shift for me um, and, and I think something that I learned through teaching, I guess that's something I, I neglected to mention earlier on when we talk about my influences, but I learned so much from teaching still. Um, I've been doing it 10 years and you just, you never stop learning um, through that as well. I feel very fortunate to have been, to be able to build a business doing that. And I think that's one of the things, one of my own mantras that I often forget is that, you know, getting good at something is going to take a lot of mistakes and you only learn when you make mistakes and you're only going to get better when you do things that don't work. So kind of changing your relationship to, to things that don't work or to your failures or to your rejects, you know, Marlene Dumas has that lovely series of, of rejects, her sort of paintings or ink drawings that, that didn't fit into any of her series, but she keeps them and she displays them. Um, I think it's a wonderful kind of totem to just the creative process in general and just losing that kind of preciousness to everything that you do even if it's been 20 hours of your life it's still 20 hours of learning and you might not have come out with anything that you're excited about but you've still learned from those mistakes so yeah it's not always easy it's certainly easier said than done especially if you've <laughs> got a painting that you loved for the first five hours of its life and then you know <laughs> the, the next five <laughs> hours it's just been an absolute nightmare but yeah, I think it's important to, to just lose a little bit of that and, and just be a little bit calmer if things aren't going so well, for sure. Now, you mentioned how like you like to get out, you know, get away from things. Do you take a sketchbook with you? Are you much of a sketcher? So I've never really... I've, I used to. And this is, again, pre-kids. Um, I think... You haven't got I a think, free hand, I suppose, now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the thing for me is sort of trying to do this in London is 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 tricky when you're starting out because obviously everything costs so much studio space is expensive rent is expensive and you know kind of trying to find that balance always of 
doing the stuff that makes you money, but having enough time to make the stuff that is just purely for you and purely about the development of your process um, that isn't you know, going to make that money. Um, I think it's been difficult because I, I kind of... I've kind of veered between having sort of a day a week in the studio up to kind of four, four and a half days a week in the studio at times in my life. And I've sort of never really had that consistency. Um, so I think I would, I would like to keep a sketchbook and there have been times when I have. Um, but at the moment it's sort of my time in the studio feels so precious that strangely, I almost feel like it's a waste of time, which is a very silly thing to do because I've, experienced and know full well the benefits of sketchbooks and the benefits of writing as well and um yeah I mean I think partly that's due to my process being at the moment quite sort of chaotic and very much improvisational as well and kind of about that learning but it's definitely something I would like to get back to doing uh, and I think that will come when I feel a little bit more um settled I suppose and have a bit more routine and obviously yeah having the two kids as as um certainly not giving me a huge amount of stability in the studio <laughs> side of my life so um, yeah a work well, in that, progress that's actually <laughs> my next question how has becoming a parent changed your life as an artist oh um big old question big old changes um I mean probably on the positive side of things it certainly makes you realize how much time you waste um <laughs> it's too late I, though <laughs> i know well this is it you sort of now look back on those times when i did have four days a week in the studio and think you wasted so much time just drinking coffee and just sitting around and and dancing and absolutely yeah. yeah just you know enjoying the fact that you're an artist and living this life that you've always wanted um it certainly makes you more efficient it certainly focuses the mind in the times that you have. I think the real positive that I've experienced from it is the amount of gratitude that I now have towards my practice as an escape, as a remnant of my old life almost. You know, it's kind of a connection to, to that part of me that is very difficult to cling on to when, when your life has changed so wildly. Um, and, you know, I've been very fortunate with the, the the work that I do and being self-employed and only really working sort of evenings um I've been around a lot and have have, have tried to take on as much responsibility of, with the parenting as I can and that's really difficult you know I've, I'll never kind of experience how that feels for a mother but certainly as, a, as an active father there's a huge amount of stuff that happens with, with around your your sense of self and identity and um it took a long time, I think, and to, to kind of get my head around that. And I think the studio practice was a big part of me re-establishing a sense of self and a sense of um, a foundation and an anchor, really, I suppose, in my life that allowed me to, to do the things that I'd always loved. So um, I think on the whole, it's been very positive. You know, obviously, the obvious problem is that I don't have the time to go in and, and I'm quite often knackered and I'm quite often quite stressed when I get into the studio. But... I think really overall it just allows me to connect with the studio in those ways that I've kind of spoken about already in that it is a, a joyful and positive and wonderful um, experience now when I go into the studio it's very rare that I go in and come out and feel underwhelmed now I can remember so many times when I'd sort of come out the end of the day in the studio and felt really crap you know oh it was a rubbish day I've ruined that piece and this piece and um, yeah I think it's allowed me to to just have a level of gratitude um, for my life, I suppose. And I think that's definitely translating into the sort of work that I'm making now. And um, I don't think I've been more excited or more connected to the work that I'm making um, as I am now. And I think being a parent has a lot to do with that. And like how things are at the moment, we've got obviously the pandemic's been happening. How has that affected your art and your art career? Obviously you've taken your lessons online. I don't know if you were doing that before. Um, yeah, so the, the the online stuff was something that I was a little bit reticent to do. So I, I in pre-COVID times, I only really ran life drawing classes um, and I kind of grown my business doing that and, and had, again, through through good luck and, and lots of um, hard work as well, I'd managed to kind of build some relationships with amazing venues and worked in some amazing spaces and taught tens of thousands of people in that way. And you know, the, the the approach to teaching life drawing that I had was so very much about the experience of being in that space and it feeling like a collaborative um, effort between myself and the students and the model. I was very 
reticent to do online life drawing because I just felt like I couldn't replicate that feeling and I felt like my you know almost be letting my regulars down in some way so um I ended up not teaching life drawing at all over the past year and I kind of developed these classes um initially um running them for free via a charity called the Carraf Centre um in which they are this kind of combination of art history and practical drawing exercises and mate I have loved it it has been so wonderful and actually there's been so much that I've learned about um, teaching and what I want to do now going back into the real world um, and and kind of being a little brave a little bit braver maybe with the sorts of classes that I offer and, and trying to do some different things within that as well there's always been art history elements to my real life classes but um, yeah I think I want to I want to try and, and play with the format a little bit and try some different things out so that's been a real benefit and um, yeah so so that's been great with the with the pandemic I've, I've been very again uh, thankful that I've been able to find a way to get some money in and, and also to kind of stay connected to the teaching process. Um, with regards to the studio practice, um, it's only really now that I'm kind of getting any sense of consistency. So I'm in a couple of days a week now. Um, so our eldest is in nursery a couple of days. Uh, so that's been on, on, that's been stalled really. But to be honest, really, it's been, again, very, we're very fortunate. It's been pretty special to be honest we had our second boy in the first lockdown and obviously that came with its own um problems and, and difficulties certainly for my partner having to do a lot of it on her own and thankfully I was able to be there for the birth but um having that time with my family and my newborn baby essentially I've had you know a paternity leave a proper paternity yeah. leave which is just unheard of um so yeah I think for me it was kind of really leaning into that and and not trying to be too frustrated about the lack of work I was making and instead just really trying to enjoy that time that I wasn't going to ever have another opportunity to have for all of us to be together so um yeah I think actually I've we've we've been very lucky and I've, I feel like well, I'll look back on this year you know all of the horrors aside um with with real fondness to be honest and and um yeah real uh, gratitude is the word I keep saying but it's uh it's certainly how I feel to be honest very lucky person yeah I think there's been a lot of positives haven't there as well as the negatives I think most people have seen yeah I hope I hope so for sure um so yeah yeah it's been it's Good. been interesting yeah and lots of learning again just want to go back to you talking about your live drawing classes and on your website it says you created your live drawing classes to trans I'm going to try and read this I'm bad at reading <laughs> to translate your passion for creativity and drawing to others but also in response to your negative experience of live classes and creative education in general I just wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about that yeah so that's quite an incendiary statement isn't it for me to have on my website <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean I think but it's true I, I I've kind of really spoken about my experience at art school um at St Martin's um I'll definitely get into that more and yeah kind of the life drawing classes afterwards so um you know as I said I sort of did the foundation year and my idea of St Martin's was this kind of hallowed historical amazing institution and I was going to rock up to St Martin's and there were going to be hundreds of other amazing interesting people and there'll be these big wide open spaces and all of these really involved tutors who are just like yeah man just you do you and we'll just be here to support you and we'll like you know we'll stealthily try and influence you with some other artists to look at uh, but you know this is very much about you exploring yourself um, and I sort of went there and felt very much part of a, a sort of corporate machine, essentially. Thousands of kids in every year, incredibly impersonal approach um, to teaching. We were having sort of very important crits that were basically deciding our degrees with people that didn't even know our names. Do you know what I mean? And you're sort yeah. of having these these really important chats at 17, 18, when you know absolutely nothing about life or what you want to be. And potentially I could have ended up, you know, just being a product designer and having missed out on all of this amazing life that I've, I've managed to, to, to carve out for myself. Um, so I was really disappointed by that. I met some amazing people, some friends for life. And yeah, I kind of wasn't let down so much by the student side of things, but um, certainly felt very, very different to what I, th I expected it to be. And 
so with the sort of to kind of delve a bit deeper into sort of my experience of the painting um side of things you know I basically went to art school thinking that was what I wanted to be and had quite clear ideas as a sort of little bugger of a 17 18 year old um you know I want to be a painter and I want to do this and do that and it was just there were just too many kids and it was just so prescriptive and I understood that was how they had to do it because it was basically just an extension of school and you know it was very much you go to this show and you make work in response to it you go to this show and you make work in response to this why could it not just be go to a show that interests you and make some work in response to it you know it just it felt so prescriptive and so dictatorial and so opposite to what I wanted my creative education to be, which was this kind of open-ended, supportive environment. Um, And I think that kind of fire sort of simmered within me after I'd graduated um, and was kind of partly exacerbated a little bit by going to life drawing classes as well. And I don't ever want to speak ill of other life drawing classes because different things work for different people. But you know, I've spoken about my studio practice and what works for me as an artist. And I think for many, many artists, that's quite a universal thing. You know, it, it needs to feel fun. It needs to feel exploratory. It needs to feel physical. It needs to feel non-judgmental. And I would go to life drawing classes in London. I would have to pay, what, 12 quid for two hours. I would have to take my own materials with me. I would go. It would be a sterile environment it would be a silent environment I remember going to a class and being asked to turn my music down and I was listening to it on headphones um, and I would go to them having spent this money that I didn't really have I was working in bars full-time at this point in time having just graduated hardly had any money was kind of trying to find a way to to to, to make work and to get reference images for my own stuff and um just coming out with these classes with, with just work that I didn't like. And I, you know, it didn't take me long to realize there's a real connection between those things, between that outcome and between the experience. It was so far away from what, from the environment and the approach that I felt I needed to make work that was exciting and personal. So were they, so, were they teaching you as well, or was it just sit there and, and draw the model? Um, all the teaching that was done was done on an individual basis, which, okay, fine. Um, but it was that very sort of, um, art institution style of like tutor strolls around the class hands behind the back leans over your shoulder points out all the things you've done wrong right. um, <laughs> which again really great way of encouraging me to relax mate thank you um, especially when you're halfway through a drawing and you're sort of resolving things at your own speed and someone comes in and goes oh well, that's wrong you're like yeah I know mate thanks thanks for taking me out of my zone um, <laughs> so actually yeah it's a good point so all of that that stuff kind of came together to me sort of developing my own specific approach which was about trying to do all of the opposite of those things essentially to have um, a really involved teaching process in which I don't stop talking basically um, (laughs) and loads and loads of really experimental exercises that are designed to level the playing field so that people that are coming to life draw for the first time don't feel intimidated you know there's nothing worse than turning up to a class sitting next to someone who's been doing it for 30 years and has that sort of smug look about them and then you just do a 30 minute pose and their drawing looks amazing and yours looks like a stick person you feel completely intimidated and don't want to go back mine's like well okay well if you're drawing with your non-dominant hand, if you're drawing with both your hands, if you're drawing blind contour drawings, all of a sudden you look over at the person who's been doing it for 30 years and their work just looks as crap as yours. So there's that kind of levelling of the playing field so that everyone feels as if they are able to be a creative individual. Um, So lots of experimentation, lots of enthusiasm and passion for me. There's always a bit of art history linked into it as well. So again, encouraging people to work from different perspectives and basically discussing all of the things that we've spoken about. So a lot of the teaching that I do isn't so technical. I always do have technical exercises as well in which we talk about how to construct good drawing. But the the majority of the class is about mentality. The majority of the class is about talking about how so many of our learned human behaviours and experiences of life are the very things that stop us being the ultimate creative that we can be um, with regards to the pressure that we put on ourselves, the expectations that we have, our relationship to making mistakes. Again, all of the stuff that we've spoken about over the course of this podcast, you know, it's about trying in two hours to get people to essentially just let go 
and just engage with the work in that free and inspired way. So yeah, my role as a teacher has always, I think, been to be more about creating that atmosphere and environment in which people feel relaxed and emboldened and confident to take risks, um, not to make amazing drawings, but just to make different drawings, I guess. Um, yeah, so kind of all of that filtered into these classes. And yeah, I sort of managed to, to hit on a on a on an approach and a structure that worked really well and um, had some some really amazing responses down the years. And as I said, I've been very fortunate to work with some some really amazing spaces and um, had some experiences that were genuinely, you know, sort of pinch yourself. I can't believe I'm here um, doing this. <laughs> Are you going to well. tell us about one of those? Uh, I, well, I suppose the biggest one, um, I've been working with a, a venue called Village Underground in Shoreditch for, um, oh, goodness me, a long time now, five years maybe. Um, and its record uh, was, I think we had 210 uh, artists in the space. Wow. We had four models in different bits of the venue. It's this incredible old industrial building, enormous seat, high ceilings, freezing cold um, in the sort of industrial bit of, of, of Shoreditch. And, you know, I sort of mentioned the music side of things. Um, I make plays for all the classes and so we have this kind of world-class sound speaker system in there so we're just listening to amazing music there are some of the models would would dance some of the models would be doing other things we kind of have opportunities for people to collage um and uh, it just yeah it sort of stood up on that stage under the lights basically performing at a, a, a sort of internationally respected venue <laughs> just be like I've just I've just got four naked people with me like this is really weird but um yeah, and, and to kind of have done it there, I think I've done nearly 20 classes there, which is just um, just amazing, really, mate. And and most of them are kind of, yeah, sort of between around 150 artists, which is just uh, pretty remarkable, really, and yeah, such a special atmosphere. Yeah. Hopefully you'll be able to do them again soon. Yeah, well, we're in talks. We're hoping we can we can get them back up and running. They've, they've obviously struggled quite a lot over the last year, so they're quite keen to get stuff on. So fingers crossed there'll be, there'll be tickets back on sale for that pretty soon. so what tips would you offer to novice artists who want to improve and develop their art oh goodness me I think the main thing is do as much as you can really see as much as you can um I think there is obviously a very strong argument to sitting down and learning the technical side of things um so a lot of people that come to my classes because it's not quite so technically minded after a few weeks they sort of come up to me at the end of the class and go like yeah this is all good but how do I learn to get better at drawing (laughs) so I mean I think there are so many routes now to being able to access really great technical information with regards to drawing you know even just on YouTube all the three videos up there Um, but for me really I think the most important thing that I have found as as a teacher with regards to people who come to my classes with an interest in in drawing more, um, the most important thing is to really kindle that passion and to make sure that you want to sit down and draw. So if for you, sitting down in front of your computer and doing very dry, technical, classical atelier exercises inspires you and you really like to see that progression in your work and you really want to aim towards that in your artwork, then that's fabulous. But for me personally as an artist and for a lot of the students that I've encountered down the years, what you need to do is go and be as inspired as you possibly can be. Go and see as much art as you can. Um, Go to shows, listen to music, see just absorb as much as you possibly can and give yourself the space and the time in the week to be away from people, to be away from distractions and to just be gentle on yourself because all you are doing is learning a language. And if I sit down tomorrow and say, I want to learn how to speak Russian and I want to be fluent in Russian within the next three months, there is absolutely no way I'm going to achieve that. And drawing visual language is exactly the same. You are not going to sit down and instantly make amazing work. It is going to take a huge number of hours. It is going to take a huge number of failed artworks. It is going to take a huge amount of self-doubt. It is going to take a huge amount of hating what you're doing. It's going to take a huge amount of commitment to developing yourself. Um, So really, I suppose the best advice I could give to someone is just... Be prepared and always find a way 
to feel positive and inspired by what you are doing. Um, and it's not easy to do. Sometimes that means meeting up with other people and just talking about how crap it is. <laughs> uh, very much like parenting. Um, sometimes it's about taking a week off and just going to see things. If you feel like you've kind of run your bank of images or inspiration dry, just go out and see some shows. Go and see artists that you've never heard of. Go to shows that you hate. Go to shows... shows that you hate? Well, go to shows of artists that you don't really like and try and find value in it, I think. Um, You know, I think someone... Oh, no, maybe I'll... (laughs) Like, I had a very interesting relationship with the Damien Hirst show at the Tate a few years back. Insofar as it was the one show that all of my mates that weren't interested in art wanted to go to, and they would always want me to go with them because I was the only artist they knew. Um, So I ended up going to that show about 10 times. And the first couple of times I went... I was just, it made me quite tense. And then the third or fourth time, I went with a very different mentality and I thought about him very differently as an individual. Those first few times, all I felt was kind of this simmering resentment for this man who was essentially just, you know, a sort of PR expert (laughs) who'd made an enormous amount of money by just fooling the art world. But then I sort of went back third, fourth, fifth, sixth times and sort of reframed the way in which I, I viewed him as an individual. And and when I went back to the show, almost thinking about him as a comedian or as a performance artist, I sort of thought, well, actually, I'm kind of on your side, mate, because the art art establishment is a load of bollocks and you have basically played them and more power to you. And I think when I went back to the show with that, that change in mentality, I was able to really start to appreciate what was good about the show. And there was some really great work in there and there was some really wonderful concepts that he executed in really interesting ways so I think there is a lot to be said for yeah sort of opening discourse and conversation with artists whose work doesn't initially inspire you you know that was very much a part of me opening up my horizons towards you know sort of much more abstract and expressive ways of working if I went back and spoke to my 16 year old self and said oh mate I'm gonna go to this Piet Mondrian show tomorrow oh mate I'm gonna go to this the Cooning show tomorrow, 16-year-old me would go, no, Dan, I'm not interested in that. But the more time you spend with these artists, you know, you might not like the outcomes or the, or the work that's there, but to understand the, the modes of thinking, to understand the value within the work, even if you can't appreciate it, I think is a really valuable skill um, and really important for your development as an artist. And again, I think opens you up to to taking risks and and approaching things differently in your own practice too, potentially. So is that one of the reasons you created those Sunday sessions to expose people to different worlds? You have mentioned it briefly before, but I I just love how you've created them. And if you want to tell everybody a bit more what they're about, and I'm hoping you're going to keep doing them. I don't know why you're going to keep doing them. Uh, I'm hoping to too, yeah. So... so, (laughs) so, um, yeah, so these Sunday sessions, they were kind of came about from this sort of passion for art history that I had. And as I mentioned, I kind of always tried to weave art history into my life drawing classes in real life anyway. And that I would kind of develop practical exercises inspired by certain artistic movements or artistic practices. Um, so I'd always had this passion. I'd done a few classes a, f- a fair few years back for this amazing space called Carousel that was this kind of fusion of art history and and life drawing as well. So I'd always had this little flame burning and I kind of, as I mentioned, wasn't particularly comfortable with doing life drawing online anyway. So I wanted to find a different way of kind of engaging with people. And yeah, I just kind of settled on this approach and kind of developed it with these free classes where there wasn't a huge amount of pressure on me so I could try different things with it. Um, But essentially what they've become, as you say, these Sunday sessions is... Um, I sort of give an art history presentation for about 30, 40 minutes, 45 minutes sometimes, in which essentially I try to do all of the things that I've just said, you know, kind of help people to better understand and better appreciate work that either they might not have experienced before or they might not have had an appreciation for before. And then by creating a, a practical exercise inspired by that artist. So it's not a case of you look at the work and then you just copy the artist's work. It's about absorbing those those modes of approach and those modes of thinking and sort of channeling them through your own personality and your own personal individual approach. So you're making works in the style of or inspired by. What that also then does is give you a new appreciation for what that artist was doing. You know, I've had a number of students sort of say oh, maybe I didn't ever appreciate Piet Mondrian before. Um, 
But man, you sit down and you try to make something purely abstract, you realise how hard it is. And wow, what an incredible individual to have been so brave and so bold and to have really genuinely revolutionised artistic expression. Um, and what's been really interesting too is, is I've also opened it up to the students to suggest artists. And it's not always artists that I like very much. Um, so for instance... Georgia O'Keeffe is someone who has always, I have always had an immense respect for as an individual and fully appreciate her impact as a human being um, and have and I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm in awe of her as a human, but I was never particularly drawn to her work. And I remember going to see her retrospective at the Tate and feeling quite empty and underwhelmed by it. But forcing me to sit down and really look into her life and her work as I was putting the presentation together and certainly as I was teaching it to people, I got it. And that for me was revelatory, you know, and, and, and essentially everything that we've just been saying, you know, I think that kind of acceptance and uh, respect that I gained for her work has actually then gone back into my own practice again and just, you know, her use of colour and her use of scale and the way in which she was so passionate about the observation process um, was just really useful to me. I think I'd always kind of put her down as someone whose life story was so fascinating and she was such an incredibly strong-willed person and I was always fascinated by that, but I, I sort of never felt that in her work. I always kind of felt her work was quite surface level and, you know, obviously by design quite decorative and that sort of very cynical part of me was like, yeah, well, you know, she just makes pretty stuff, doesn't she? <laughs> um, firstly, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> like there's a lot of space for people to just make pretty things. But also I, I wasn't aware of a lot of the later works that she made. And some of those, they're called the black landscapes. Absolutely superb, like so intense and psychological. And um, yeah, you know, and that, even someone like myself who's so engaged with art history and so passionate about art, it passed me by in this kind of huge name that is kind of synonymous with anyone who's done GCSE art. I'd never really had that appreciation for. So it's been not just me about me teaching other people. It's about my learning as well. And um, I've so enjoyed them, mate. And I would absolutely love to keep them going. Um, it just depends at the moment on kind of how things go with, with, with things reopening in the UK um, and just whether the demand is still there basically. But yeah, they've been a, a real joy to run and I've learned so much from them. Um, and as I said, kind of actually a lot of stuff that I'll, I think I'll probably take back into into my real life teaching. I think I'd quite like to start offering some different sorts of classes and maybe not just doing life drawing classes, but maybe doing these sorts of things in real life too. Um, so, yeah. Well, you, you spoke before about losing yourself in your work. And I actually think doing those exercises, you do lose yourself because... You do that thing, don't you, where you don't know what's coming next. So you break it up into sections. So first, for 10 minutes, you're doing this. And you can't be precious about it because you don't know what's coming next. Absolutely, yeah. So that's a big a big part. I don't do that for every class, but I ah. think for certain artists, it certainly helps to have that feeling of um, of surprise, yeah, and, and really forcing people to have to do things that they don't want sometimes. Um, so was it the is it the hour back one that you did or the yeah, Giac yeah. Well, I've done I've got done three but yeah um, so the hour back one in particular uh, Giacometti one as well in which it's this kind of layering process that's quite unexpected so you kind of you make a drawing you assume that that drawing is finished and then I basically say well no it's not finished you're now going to rub that drawing out and start again yeah. basically and that's um, yeah very kind of analogous to what I do in the classes as well in in real life kind of just constantly keeping people on their toes really and and forcing them to into those those situations where initially you're like oh jesus this is annoying <laughs> uh but then five minutes later you kind of see the benefit of it um and i think there's yeah a lot of lot of big lessons to be learned from that that sort of approach as well and in terms of just responding to situations and being creative in the way in which you kind of fight your way out of them as well you're you know, when you're in a, in a situation that's outside of your comfort zone, in, in a situation you've not experienced before, you have to inherently be creative in order to solve that issue because you don't have any pre-existing experience to lean upon. So, yeah, new experiences, taking people by surprise, um, yeah, being a bit bit mean sometimes can, can be very <laughs> useful as a teacher, I think. Um, what are your plans for the future with your art? 
Well, uh, it's a big week because I think what I might have decided to do is to build a studio at home, um, which is something I've thought about for a very long time um, and has kind of been uh, thrust upon me slightly quicker than I thought because it's looking like I'm going to have to move out of my current studio space that I've had for seven years. Um, And I was initially kind of quite scared about it. uh, But with everything, having the kids... And having such limited time, I was always a night owl as well. I don't know about you, Tara, but I, will all, I always felt I work better once everyone's gone to bed and the world is silent. <laughs> no, I'm not. So. I really, the opposite. <laughs> well, I'd be kind of quite interested now to try and go back to that way of working because obviously with the kids, I'm kind of having to do everything in the morning and the afternoon, which was kind of usually when I was at my, my worst and my grumpiest. But it'd be kind of quite interesting now, I think, to see how I got on with sort of working from 10 till one in the morning or whatever I used to do. Um, yeah, so I, I think that the, the plan really, you know, with the year that we've had, I'm going to have to go back and, and make some money. Um, and the easiest way for me to do that is to teach more. Um, but I'm going to try and teach a little bit um, smarter, I think. So adapting the classes, as I mentioned, that I'm going to be running, maybe kind of teaching smaller groups, but more involved experiential classes where there's a lot more one-to-one feedback um because yeah generally my life during classes were were big groups you know 50 60 people um and this kind of universal approach to tuition um I think you know as I get older and more tired every day and my bones creak more (laughs) every time I get up and you know another night of just three hours sleep um the idea of me kind of running loads of art materials across London <laughs> to teach 60 people and to get sweaty and to get all of that adrenaline and then to come home and not be able to sleep because I still got so much adrenaline and it's kind of becoming less and less <laughs> kind of alluring um so I think yeah for me the future is about trying to re-establish that balance really so that I can have you know three four good days in the studio um I'm started very recently a, a new series of paintings that I'm quite excited about um that is I suppose a combination of lots of things that we've spoken of already, basically just this combination of gratitude. Um, and I've become really interested in this notion of sort of unknowing collaborations between myself and other artists. So primarily musical artists, but people that have always been there with me without them ever knowing. I'm sort of fascinated by that idea and kind of the influence that they've had on my work and my life. Um, so I've kind of done... I've done. A, I've started about three or four portraits of these musicians that I, I, I have such respect for. And it's been a really interesting thing for me because I've always been quite wary of that sort of stuff. You know, there's a lot of artists who will sort of, on Instagram, for instance, who will, you know, very cynically sort of paint a very famous person and tag that person in, sort of hoping for a, a regram or whatever and all the followers that that will bring. But... Um, I'm sort of coming at it from a much more honest place. And I think I, I, I've always been very cynical about that sort of stuff, very, in, in a very silly way, you know. I, I, it's sort of, a, 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 uh, yeah, again, I'm in no way saying that it's, it's a bad thing to do, but I always kind of had this pretentious bit of myself, that kind of 16-year-old part of myself that, um, Dan, you can't do that, you're an artist. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think just basically relaxing about all that stuff um, I feel very, very good and happy about where my visual language is now. I sort of felt I felt like the last five, six years have been about me developing that. And I feel like I've kind of got an approach that is unique enough to me that but also gives me enough wriggle room to keep experimenting with things. So, yeah, I guess it's just making more, showing more. I want to sell more. So I'm going to probably do a few more of the, the black and white drawings as well in the next few months. Um because ultimately I want to get into uh, more more painting and a little bit less teaching. I'm never going to stop teaching because I love it so much and I get so much from it. But um, yeah, so yeah, it's an exciting few months ahead, I think. Build the, build the home studio, settle into a new space, see how that impacts on my work as well, that change in environment. Um, do you work, from, you work from home or? Yeah, I work from home. How do yeah. you find it? Well, I've, I've done it for 15 years. Right. So. Yeah, it's great. I yeah. Think. Yeah, much better than working in an office or anywhere like that, you know, because I've been a designer, so it tends to be in offices and stuff. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah, I'm quite excited. I've always been a bit wary, again, of kind of having a space in your home. But 
hoping I can get a little space, a little spot out in the garden. So I've got like a little bit of distance from from all the madness indoors. Um, Are you going to get one of these nice little wooden hut things? I'm going to, if I can afford it, mate. Yeah, I'm looking at... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm really daydreaming every day about (laughs) (laughs) about it. Um, Yeah, so so looking into options, that's, yeah, that's kind of, I suppose, really going to be the big thing for the next few months. So probably not making a huge amount. but, But I have to say, the last few years... Um, what they have taught me another thing about being a parent is just how much I used to beat myself up for not making constantly or not doing as much as other people that I knew and I've definitely learned to just let that bit go of myself as well and you know you gain momentum very quickly those first few times going back into the studio after you know whatever it's been five six months sometimes that I've not really been in it's always difficult to kind of re-establish that rhythm but it always comes back Um, and I think I always you always come back as a slightly different person so maybe the work kind of doesn't continue in a in a sort of logical way but there's excitement in that as well and um yeah sort of made my peace with that and looking forward to you know five years time when the kids are both at school <laughs> finally having some <laughs> time, time to to, yeah. to make make what I want to make but you know it's a marathon not a sprint isn't it and I think that that mentality is 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 I've learned is just the most important thing to just be calm. So where is the best place that people can find out more about you? Oh, um, my slightly out of date website, uh, com. That has uh, some of my more recent work on there and also a lot of information about my classes, both online and over the next few weeks in real life as well. I'm also on Instagram at Freeform Life Drawing. Um, which is a combination, again, of, of, of my classes and my work. So, yeah, between the two of those things, you could probably, hopefully, <laughs> uh, get an idea of what I'm up to and where I'm going to be at and, uh, and where the classes are as well going forward too. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating talking to you. And I'm, I've got my fingers crossed that you're going to carry on with those Sunday sessions online. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed. If we can if we can keep the numbers up, I'd love to carry on with them. And if not, hopefully I can do something in real life with them as well. Oh, me and Sandra are going to try and come to a class at some point. I think. Oh, please do. Yeah, yeah, please do. Thank you then. Bye. No worries. Thank you, Tara. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, perhaps you'd like to share it and leave a review for us on iTunes.